1: A one, a two, a one, two, three, four! <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden buzz in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. Fifteenth hole here, is recommended. <laughs> Oh, is he a caveman? Because it suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> hey,
2: g'day. Welcome. This is Golf. Andrew Datto is my name. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I'm pretty pumped up about this particular podcast because we're talking about golf and spirituality. And to do that, We have uh, a man of the cloth, uh, David Friedman, Rabbi David Friedman. He's been with the rabbinate since 1973. You can currently find him if you need some help at the Central Synagogue. Um, He's lectured in medieval Jewish history at Sydney University, Jewish law at the University of New South Wales. And the whole idea came together when we were playing once. And I said, wouldn't it be great, maybe he said it, um, if you had um, him and a Catholic priest or a Protestant priest, you could get an imam as well, and just talk about golf and spirituality and the different ways the religions dealt with the game. Because this is, if nothing else, a spiritual game. It takes us to, oh my God, the, high, the highest highs and the lowest lows over the course of 18 holes. So what if there was a way to look at it or a different way to think about it or a way to prepare for it? And that was sort of the the objective with with David. So I really enjoyed our discussion. I hope you do as well. We'll pick it up almost at the exact spot where he says, or he corrects me about my plan and and getting all those people together. Because while I thought, you know, this is a a spiritual moment, he thought it was something else. So this is David Friedman, Rabbi David Friedman, um, and a really fun discussion. I hope you enjoy it, and I'm certain you'll get something from it.
1: Thanks for coming Either on. By the way, my idea wasn't so much to chat with a bishop or a, a, an imam. It was more for you, uh, courtesy in those days, probably a foxtail, to swing us a game over <laughs> it, uh, in New Zealand, on the North <laughs> right. Island, on the South Island. But right. it never happened, but here we are. Okay. What's now,
2: people often talk about golf being a religion. You know, that yeah. you have your religion, then they say golf is a religion. How do you, can you see that? as a
1: as a reality uh yes in some respects it it's a it's a great education um if from a jewish point of view of course uh, there are certain things that are critical in golf and i think they're the same in faith certainly in the jewish faith i think one of them is the idea certainly i've learned that when you play golf, you're not really trying to beat other people. I mean, it's not like in the major championships where we've got the the boards as we walk around and, you know, I'm beating you by one shot or you're beating me. We don't know that. What I'm really trying to do is play to my ultimate potential on that day, on the, that particular course, normally Long Reef, greatest course in the world. <laughs> um, well, apart from the ones in New Zealand you wanted to play. That's so. true. Uh, and, and I think really it's about, in a way, beating yourself, beating your own standard, going a little bit higher. And uh, that, to me, is the great beauty of it. And I think in some respects, that's the difference between the two great empires that have formed and uh, forged the Western world. You've got the Greek civilization and you've got the, call it the Israel or the Jewish civilization, that have merged to create this christian jewish society that we live in and in some respects when you look at the greeks it was about the physical Uh, and and that's from that of course came the olympics and things like javelin and discus and but jews were much more concerned about study and refining oneself and not about judging other people in fact i do a lot of funerals and on a day of a funeral uh, i always say to the people who are there that we never judge another person The Almighty will judge us when that day comes, uh, but it's not for us to judge others. And the day of judgment is entirely in the hands of God. So it's not about us and others, it's about me and myself. That's, I think, number one.
2: Okay, so what's the day of judgment then for golfers at a a, day? So, which is really interesting. So, hang on, even before we get to that, let me just go back that one step. If the Greeks were the physical and the Jews were the spiritual spiritual and, and Head? What would that be? Head thinking, (laughs) or you know what I mean? Intellectual. Intellectual. Thank you. Okay. Although the Greeks gave
1: us philosophy, let's not take that away from
2: them. The world's in in big trouble. (laughs) The world's in enough trouble already. But but if we take that, what you're saying at a really basic level, if if we say the you know the Greeks were the physical and the Olympics, and the, the Jews were the intellectual, is golf an amalgamation of those two? Ideals.
1: Well, I think in a sense it is, of course, because the Greeks gave us the visual, uh, and and uh, the Jews were always about the word. They were about not what you could see, but what you could hear. Uh, and when you think about golf, of course, one of the things that attracts me seriously to long reef and really any golf course that i would want to play is first what does it look like what is the experience when you walk around and and again this is not a plug for long reef but if people listening to this have never played long reef i can tell you i've been a member there for over 25 years and so i know every every spot of the course and there is only one maybe 10 meter spot on one fairway and I'm not going to tell you which one, you can work that out for yourself, where you cannot see the ocean, because we're surrounded on three sides by the ocean. Mm. Uh, so yes, the beauty is, is part of it, and that's certainly what I would say is more the, the Greek element or the Western world. And then the other is the, uh, the, the internal challenge uh, of working things out, of trying to improve, of of course making great friendships uh, the conversations of course that take place around a golf course are, are really as important as the golf itself all of that so so
2: going back to what you're saying earlier with the leaderboards and you're not trying you know we're, we're playing amateur golf we're not
1: trying to beat people I I just you you're not trying to you, when I set off every Wednesday morning for yeah. argument's sake I'm standing on that first tee and I want to win I want to win the the day on in B grade um, now that's what I want to do but I, I'll say this I have never and it's an awful lot of times I've played I have never left Long Reef and driven home and felt unhappy right so that's what it's given me a sense of satisfaction it, it, it's a it's a it breaks the week up um, it's the challenge every time and every condition is different again when you do play a Lynx type course mm. yeah There's no two occasions that the course is exactly the same. We never have a completely still day, so there's always new challenges. Um, I think that's one of the great things about golf. I mean, I think the other thing that when you asked about religion and golf, for the Jewish religion, it's very much about law. Uh, We've been accused of being too involved with the minutiae of law. But basically, um, according to our tradition, God gave Moses and the Jewish people the Ten Commandments, and beyond that, many other commandments. And uh, from that evolved the Oral Law and then Talmud. And really it directs us uh, in as to how we should behave between ourselves and the Almighty and be- between ourselves and our fellow man. Uh, and so if you you really get stuck sometimes, you look in the book. And Or you ask a rabbi who knows the book, Mm. and then they'll give you the the pathway forward. And funnily enough, golf probably of almost all the sports, you've got to have a book. I mean, the brilliance of these golfers when they're in the middle of a major tournament and they know the rules, the RNA or the American code, and they use them. They don't abuse them, but they use them to their advantage. So the fact that... And to the absolute nth degree well, and if they're unsure, they call a rabbi, Yeah. except he's not called a rabbi, he's, <laughs> so he's who's called the s- a rules official, yeah, so, so, and that's so, exactly the same. <laughs> so, so who's the almighty in the game of golf? In the game of golf? Well, of course, it's, sitting here in Australia, the almighty would be the R&A. Right. They make so the
2: rules. Right. So is the, well, see, I just wonder if the almighty is not within us as a golfer. Well, I think that Because com- you're answering to yourself, right? So, Well,
1: that comes to the the third aspect, which I love so much. Um, is that rarely, occasionally, you meet golfers who are a bit unpleasant or too much about themselves or they lose their temper, all of that sort of stuff. But 90%, 99% of the time, that is not the case because golf is about etiquette. It's about generosity of spirit. um, It certainly is about looking after your own game Mm. and doing it uh, fairly, decently. You know, there's, um, there's a very, very famous story told in the Talmud of a rabbi who lived, we, we think around, he may have been a, you know, lived at exactly the same time as Jesus, for those listening who are of the Christian faith. So we're talking 2,100 years ago, and his name was Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, you can look him up look him up on Wikipedia um he's got his own wikipedia page oh that's, that's definitely great. would definitely would one of the most famous rabbis of all time he say he's a golfer this is uh, a golf story no <laughs> uh well it's sort of a golf story because anyway the guy comes up to him who is not jewish and he actually just really his intention was to test hillel's patience and he said to him rabbi tell me the whole of judaism while I'm standing on one leg. In other words, I want to convert to Judaism, but instead of spending two, three, four, five years learning it all, just tell me what in this one moment. And another rabbi would have said, get lost. Yeah. And Hillel answered, do not do to other people what you wouldn't like other people to do to you. Everything else is commentary. That is what Judaism is. Right. And that's what golf is. I don't want somebody walking on my line so I don't walk on their line. I don't want somebody sneezing on, on my backswing so I hope that I wouldn't do the same or cough and I move away or, and so on and so forth. So many examples of right behaviour on a golf course. And I think in that sense it's very parallel, um, comparable to to not just Judaism, mm. I think Christianity is yeah, yeah. in their truest and um, finest forms. So what about when you challenged in, within a
2: game to i mean or or are you ever challenged within a game to to you know get the best possible result or when you see someone you might be playing with and you know they might do something like how do how do you how do you deal with
1: the wrong thing oh um no not really i don't think i've ever seen i've ever seen that you do hear uh, you know, occasionally, unfortunately, people get a reputation, mm. uh, and so occasionally a name is mentioned. And say, oh, yeah, you know, he's a bit sus. But uh, I must say, the people I've played with, they're real gentlemen, mm. and the and the women I've played with equally. Um, I mean, my my golf partner for ten, fifteen years till she moved up to northern New South Wales was my Monday partner, <laughs> Pat Patricia. She'll love that if I. She'll, yeah. she'll be really. Yeah. Take a buzz that i've mentioned to her but my other regular partners uh no i think they've they're honest and uh, and i try to be the same so i can't really say that i've seen bad behavior i think the worst is when people lose their cool yeah i was playing once with a guy who uh, i i gotta say i think he'd had a, he'd had a, a couple of beers before we went out <laughs> yeah. and he took a six pack out with him mm. And we got to, in those days, would have been about the 13th, 14th hole. And he had a bad drive. And he threw his driver forward. And it didn't go near anybody. But unbeknownst to me, I was very new at the club, um, one of the four in our group was a, was a committee member. And he said, that's enough, mate. Go home. Right. And he actually sent him home off the course. Wow. And, and I would say to you that uh, I have played with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of club members. At my club, and he is the only one truly that if I would have seen his name on the board, I might have removed my name and gone to another group. Yeah, right. But he left. He, he left anyway.
2: Yeah. So what do you – I mean, what do you like most about the game? Like what are you trying to – are you trying to hit your best shot every time? Are you hoping – like in, in the cycle of – I mean, I think it's a genius game and then it's 18 holes because so much can happen in 18 holes. Like, you know, it can be awful. Yeah. And then – you can be great and then be awful or you can be just- I think the worst
1: thing about it is be is stuffing, you know stuffing up the last hole because you can't come back from that <laughs> yeah and you might be in the game you know you might be looking you know you know I, I know in my mind um on any given day 33 points I might win a ball 35 points on that day might win a ball and I come to the last hole and I wipe <laughs> it and I I'm really unhappy with myself cuz I feel that's a choke. I you know whether it is or not might have been unlucky.
2: Is it over the ball? Is it like so that so you so your first objective is I'm going to today I'm going to win a ball or today I'm going to get 30 points
1: or No, my first is always to get the number 3. Yeah. And if I get over 3 I feel well that's respectable and and when I'm looking down the list my name's above you know 3303132. Um <laughs> wonderful to get your handicap but it's very difficult to do your handicap with this handicap system Mm. but you asked me what I like about the the game and I'm going to give a different kind of answer Um, when I was a kid I was brought up in London uh, my my summer sport was cricket and I played cricket at, at, um, at club level and my winter game of course was soccer or we prefer to call it football association football And I still follow those sports and I still, for my sins, and I'm speaking from the heartland of this magnificent country of Australia and I'm a citizen of Australia, but I still feel a lot for England at cricket and England at football. Mm -hmm. And I still support my football team, Newcastle United. And I played a lot of tennis as well, but I'll tell you the difference. I thought about it a lot. Let me talk about tennis. We lived quite near Wimbledon. And we used to go to Wimbledon almost every uh, every year.
2: Were you a good tennis player?
1: I got into our county school county team and I played with a a Rhodesian boy. There was no Zimbabwe in those days. Mm. Uh, Called Bill Fleeman. And my name's David Friedman. So I always remember on the Monday if we won or we lost and the results were being given over by this brigadier who was the head teacher at the time. And he got really tongue-tied between Fleeman, 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 (laughs) Fleeman. And then, but there was, yeah, we, we used to enjoy it, and we, we won most of our matches, but we went once to a, another, in the county, yeah. place called Dorking, and, and we were what we call sixth formers, so that's like now year yeah, 11, year 12, year 12. Year 12, yeah. Yeah. And we arrived there, and we we're playing always boys the same age, same size, and we look across the net, and there's this, this scrawny little mite who was from year seven, equivalent of year seven. And we were really upset about that. Who the hell do they think they are putting this little nothing opposite us? And the end of it, anyway, I think we used to play best of three sets, and it was six love, six love to them. And it turned out that this young nothing became the number one player in Great Britain, and his name was Buster Montram, right. And he was 13 and we were 17, so... <laughs> Anyway, so we weren't happy. But I'll tell you... What, yeah, sorry,
2: you're... Sorry. But right? we used to go to Wimbledon. Yeah.
1: Um, Ruth and I, my wife and I, when we were kids. And we used to go to Wimbledon. And um, I, I don't know if this is widely known, and I don't know if this is still the case, but I can tell you in the years that we went, through the 60s, that the centre court was only used for two weeks in the year. Even when Britain played in the Davis Cup, they would play on number one court they weren't allowed to play on centre court. That was reserved only for Wimbledon. So I knew, as a reasonably half-decent tennis player, my chances of playing on centre court, or actually even at Wimbledon, were lower than zero if there is such a thing. Now, I'll tell you something else. I used to, as a rabbi in England, I used to get invited to bar mitzvahs and weddings, and the reception sometimes was great. It was that we were in North London, And the family would hire the Lord's Taverners. So during the speeches, which were always the worst part of any function, Ruth and I used to nip out and we used to walk down and there was a little picket fence and we used to walk on to Lord's. We didn't go obviously on the actual square. We respected that. But just to walk on Lord's is, you know, something. And I thought to myself, I'm a good player. I was was a pretty decent bowler, um, half decent batsman. Um, but I'm never going to play at Lords. Never going to play at Wimbledon, never going to play at Lords, but I'll tell you something, as a golfer, (laughs) you can play at St Andrews. Right. I'll tell you something else. Have you played at St Andrews? I've actually walked St Andrews four hours, the whole course. Uh, I've played at Royal Dornoch, just up a little bit up there, which uh, Tom Watson said was the greatest links course in the world, so I wanted to play that. And the great and late Peter Thompson said for him the greatest links course he ever played was Brora, which is even further north, and I played that as well. Uh, but unfortunately, that we we arrived on a Sunday at St Andrews, so we walked the course. Everybody else just looks at the first hole and the 18th. So well,
2: Sunday's the, um, that's the picnic day, isn't it?
1: That's right, it's, except for... A- big championships, mm. it's closed. So my wife very patiently walked all 18 <laughs> holes with me. I walked in and out of every bunker. Yeah, right. I walked every green. It's just the most phenomenal golf course. But the next day when I was hoping to go in the ballot, it poured with rain, so we, we gave it away. But I I've, I have walked it in, you know, hole a, one, hole in two. In a gol- right. Yeah, as a golfer. And
2: so when you were doing the walking, were you imagining?
1: Yes. So were you imagining... <laughs> I I was imagining
2: and I was thinking. So you you drove it much further than you normally would. No,
1: (laughs) I was, I tell you, I, I, I played really well in my mind for 16 holes. And then I came to the road hole and I stood there and I stood there and I stood there and in the end I thought I don't know how I would ever play this hole i just in the end it's the only hole the only golf hole i've ever seen that i just thought, thought i couldn't play because you couldn't reach the fairway i, I just mean, you can't yeah. go, you, i couldn't i just you can't go over the barn or couldn't the, the go house. over the hotel and i don't know if there was a forward to i can't remember it's the most impossible hole especially as a left-hander perhaps sort of pulling it a little bit right to left so that's even worse because you really want to like your beautiful strokes there you know going uh, left to right, pulling it back into the fairway. Mm. No, it's a brilliant golf hole and it's um, – I just stood there and almost <laughs> cried because I thought, well, I'd, I'd play 16 holes so well and then I'd stuff it up at, yeah, the, right. at the end. But, but again – You wouldn't win your ball. I don't, well, yeah, I've lost my ball. I wouldn't get thirty points. It, it, it's a disaster, you know. But look, I do think that that's so. The first thing I think about golf when you say what's great about golf and what do I, you know, what's good about it? Not the individual round. You have some good rounds. You have mm. some bad rounds. You learn how to lose um, with with dignity a lot because you lose a lot more. Yeah. Even Tiger Woods, who won fifteen or whatever he's up to now, and and Jack, think how many others they were in and they lost. You learn. To lose, that's a great thing. But no, the first thing is that every golf course in the world, even if you know the right people and you've got a bit of, as we say, guilt in your back pocket, you can even play Augusta, Georgia. Mm. There are no golf courses closed to an amateur if he can, fair enough, has got a half decent handicap. The second thing I will say is that I used to play tennis. And if I played tennis against somebody who was just a smidgen better than me, it was six love, six love, or six one, six one. But you know what? I can play a professional and I can beat him. And, my, and I'll tell you, no, it's true. My brother... No, no, I know, I know. No, my brother was a, an accountant. Yeah. And when I used to live in England, he one of his clients was a golf pro. So one day at my brother's course, um, the golf pro and his assistant took us on. We played off 18, they played off zero. I started off with two pars. Mean they got got to get birdies, so we went ahead, came to the 18th hole, we were all level, and I stuffed up the 18th. <laughs> and and uh, um, like um... and the golf, I know it says a pattern there. Me and Greg Norman, we talked to each other, yeah, yeah. And then the um, the assistant pro also stuffed it up. My brother, to his credit, got a five, and the golf pro got a four, and we actually shared the honors that day. But my greatest chat line uh, is that we we have at long reef uh we've had some great young golfers who've gone on and one of them uh, uh i think is it brett um, what's that our Dewitt, drew it yeah he came brett in, drew it. Brett it yeah and he he was on for a while on the pga on the main pga tour and he came back to long reef uh, back to see his family i'm sure and he Played on the Wednesday comp, and I and I saw him. Oh my goodness, the swing! He was two groups ahead of me. We were going up the fifteenth. Uh, Andrew, he was going down the sixteenth. I just stopped and watched him hit this from his drive. It was a, like a lob wedge yeah, yeah, into yeah. the sixteenth green, and it was just the most beautiful swing. And it's at moments like that that the tenth commandment, "Thou shalt not covet," you, <laughs> you you throw it away because why can he do that and I can't? But but anyway, end of story. I checked all the results at the end of the day and he got 32 or 33 points and I got 34 points. (laughs) So I told everybody I beat somebody from the PGA Tour. Now, the fact that he was playing that day off plus five and I was playing off 15, 20 shots different, I didn't tell people that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you have to tell people the whole truth.
2: I mean, it is great to watch the young kids, like the really good young kids and the flexibility they have in their bodies and the way they can sort of move their hips through and around a golf swing, I, I mean, I think anyway, is just absolutely stunning. So it's something to, to well, definitely be coveted well, and I think, enjoyed. Well, you know?
1: I, well look, let, let me pick that up on that and say that the third thing, say the first is you can play on great courses that the pros play. Number two, you can play people better than you and you can beat them because we have a handicapped system. But the third thing is that you can play on into old age or senior years i'm i'm in my 70s now um and you're still trying to improve Mm. and and as long as your body is reasonably supple and you're trying to um you know trying to learn the game that the game is a game of science i've always felt that and so i really owe a debt to marco mira um fox used to have i mean the best I really only watched the golf show when you were comparing Same. it. I only
2: watched it when I was on it too. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant.
1: I loved it. And I used to, anybody nearby say, this is my mate, Andrew. Isn't he brilliant? I didn't care who else was on it. And I'm being serious. Oh, great, great, great charisma. But, um, you know, I, I, got in once and I put the TV on and Marco Mira, and he says, today I'm going to teach you guys how to drive. And I thought, well, that's good because I'm not really good at driving. And he said, now I'm going to show you how the average amateur club golfer drives. And I watched it. and because he's right-handed. I'm left-handed. But I watched him. and I actually thought, oh, my God, that's me. I could see my own body. All right. So what did he do? And then he says, do you so remember? I'd absolutely. I recorded it. Yeah. And I've still got it. Yeah. And, I, and he turned to the camera. He says, so now I'm going to tell you one word. Remember this one word torso and he said it's all about the torso and i i had this vision do you remember those uh, um, sort of portable train things that kids have yeah. and they have turntables you could buy oh yeah like yeah a, yeah, yeah and you put the train so on the train there, can go, in go into directions. a different line yeah. yeah okay and i suddenly saw my body the upper part <laughs> was sitting on a turntable and if i could just you know swing like that i would get a lot more power and i would uh, instead of always slicing off to the left maybe i could straighten it up get my shoulders right get the lines right and i could drive straight through and the next morning it was a tuesday night the next morning i came out and we started on the ninth which is a par five and i thought you know what and i hadn't been on the practice fairway or anything i thought marco mira said this i'm gonna give it a go and i hit the first drive 50 meters further than i had been hitting the drive the only problem was i went so round that it went quite right and it went into the you know into the hazard into yeah, the ditch there so
2: okay so you did a big so you're a left-hander so you done a big and ball. i lost
1: the ball i okay. couldn't find it in amongst all that stuff and my partner said to me oh tough luck dave and I said, no, no, this is brilliant. I was the happiest guy on the course and I just lost a ball because I realized it worked. And all I had to do was straighten up my lines and I've got 30, oh. 40 meters extra. Okay. So I wrote to Marco Mira. <laughs> I did. I said, I'm in Sydney. You've changed my life and I want to buy you a drink. So when you come to Sydney next time, these are my details. And you know what? I never heard from him, but, <laughs> but but I felt good writing to him. <laughs> and if he listens to your podcast, Marco yeah, yeah. Mira, I bless you yeah, every yeah. time I'm I'm on the course.
2: So what was? So let's be specific. What was the? What is the tip from Marco Mira? What is? The, how is the? What's the torso tip?
1: Uh, so to to well, I mean, imagine exactly that. Imagine you're on a turntable, and instead of going what I call up and down, I'm sort of doing that with my arm, it's really getting that turn in. Oh, so and, instead of and moving your... So it's sort of seeing a semicircle. Your body is moving around the arc of a semicircle mm-hmm. on that, resting on your hips. Your hips are standing stationary. Okay. And your body is turning. turning. And then you can... I, I mean, I can even... Oh, draw the ball very occasionally. Yeah. Which, which I couldn't do
2: before. So turning around as opposed to going back up and down. I think some of the round. pros,
1: um and I do watch some of them and, and on YouTube and on TV, and they're very technical. And I think that's great if you've got somebody standing next to you telling you what to do. But otherwise, you know, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. And, um that that works for me. And you know, but I tell you the really tough thing about golf and maybe it's about life as well. When you think you've conquered one area of it, you're so happy and then you find the other bit falls off. So mm. you know, you your driving improves and then your iron play goes, or your iron play comes back and then your bunker play goes, or then you're putting badly. It's um I think that's what they once said, who was the greatest golfer who ever lived? And there were many, you know, Ben Hogan and Jack Nicholas, etc. But they said on his day, Tiger Woods, and the reason that that particular group um, commentators said that was because they said he was a master of every discipline Mm. and if you put it all together on the day there was zero weakness no weakness in his game
2: so you said so i mean because golf is a great or it seems to be a great metaphor for life you know so if your driving's working but your putting's not working or something so how do you uh, how do you reconcile that when you're playing like if you hit a low as a spiritual man how do you get through the low Moments that, that, and often unexplainable moments that that happen in a golf round where the ball bounces left
1: off a right-facing hill. Wow, or- that's that is, that is such a deep, <laughs> religious question, and and I and I'll tell you the answer that we've given our children. You know, there's something in golf called rub of the green, mm. which basically you got to take the rubbish when it comes your way and not moan too much. Um, there was a rabbi who's mentioned in the Talmud. And his name was Nochum, N-A-H-U-M, but we pronounce it the hard guttural, Nochum. Has he got a Wikipedia page? Like. I'm sure he has. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of rabbis are on Wikipedia. <laughs> and he, he was, uh, he had a terrible life, actually. He suffered greatly with all kinds of, um, you know, illnesses and bad fortune coming his way. But in the Talmud, he is known as Nochum-ish, Gamzu. Nocham is his name. Ish is the Hebrew word for man or man of. Gamzu. So people assume there was a place, like I'm David of Sydney. So he was Nachum Ish, Gamzu. But if you look up, there is no place, Gamzu. Gamzu are two Hebrew words, which in this Talmudic phrase were put together as one. But they're actually two words. And they're the first two words of the saying or the proverb that was on his lips all the time, which in Hebrew is "gam zu tova, which literally translated means "this too is for good." Whatever happens, wow. you've got to find the good that comes out of it. Yeah, you know, I um, a couple of years ago, I'd never been ill in my life, um, uh, never had an anaesthetic, never had an operation. I found myself in hospital, serious serious stuff. And um, when, I, when, I got, when I got home and recovered, and I was able to then go back to golf, we all measure our wellness by golf, and I was able to go back to my work, a lot of that is hospital visitation. I realized that being in hospital for that one week, and having that operation had made me a better person. Chaplain in the mm-hmm. hospital. I understood those people. I'd done hospital chaplaincy all my life yeah. for forty years, fifty years, but now I was better. So, Gamsulatova, I learned something. You've always got to learn something, and and uh, I it, think and make the best of it. You know, and uh, yes, it's true that you know you you can be out of bounds. There's not much you can you know recover from that. But you know, you put your ball back on the tee, and. And you, you then try and do it in par so at least you can get, if your handicap allows, maybe still get one point. Yeah. There's always redemption. I mean, Judaism... But, but do,
2: do, do, do you, like in the cut and thrust of a game of golf, do you... Do yeah, you, I think I
1: do. I, right. I, I tell you what. You don't go, ah! You know, again... Like, but, who do you curse? Like, look, I tell you... <laughs> no, inwardly, I yeah. say, you know, I'll say to myself, oh, bugger. Yeah, you know, yeah. stupid. But no, rarely, rarely do I let it out to my partners because they're having a good day. Why should I spoil it for them? Yeah. Well, I have one of my partners who does swear a bit, but he always looks at us straight up and says, sorry, 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 <laughs> you know, not because I'm a rabbi, because it just it's, yeah. you know, he feels... But I remember
2: st- the first time we played and I was like, I think I've hit something, <laughs> shot, like, like this, and I looked around and someone goes, you know, he's a rabbi. Uh,
1: uh, well, I think I it's going to be okay. <laughs> no, look, I do remember once I was playing in a, in a golf, uh, what do you call it, a corporate day or a charity day, and um we're going up the seventh at where was it at uh, either bonnie doon or st michael and uh, the guy i was closest to it was ambrose and he 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 mishid a three wood off the fairway and he went oh, f and um he didn't look round at me he just said it and he walked off and that was it we get to the 11th and there was out of the four there was one guy i'd never met before and we were really relying on him to get something out of this 11th hole and he was on the green and he four-putted four-putted and as he missed the you know the last putt with his putter you know he's sort of bashing it down a bit onto the turf and he goes f f <laughs> f f and then he realized and he looked up and he goes Oh, Rabbi, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And I said, I said, uh, uh, and and he said to me, he said, but at least it's not bad. You haven't heard it till the 11th green. I said, sorry to disappoint you. I heard it on the (laughs) 7th fairway, you know. So no, that doesn't affect me at all. But I, um, no, look, I I think you take, you've got to take the rough (coughs) with the smooth. And we always taught our children, life's not fair. Mm. And it's not always their fault when things go wrong. And things go wrong. Mm it doesn't matter who you are but I think you've got you try and work things out to make it better or make yourself feel better I always remember when I when I was leaving the hospital um and it was uh, the the specialist the surgeon came to see me he said I think you're strong enough to go and I said you know you've been amazing and I said, I want to tell you something else. I looked at him, Jewish guy, of course, if you want to be looked after in hospital, <laughs> be Jewish, you'll be looked after well. And if you're a rabbi, you'll be looked after even better. So I looked at him and I said, you know, and it was all urological stuff. It was all to do with my kidneys. Um, and I said to him, you know, people have always said to me that when you go into a hospital, you lose your dignity. And I looked at him and I said, you, I said, this kind of thing that I've had couldn't be more true, could it? I said, but I haven't lost my dignity. I said, you, you've you all, the nurses, the doctors, the assistants, you've all treated me with such respect. But I said, more than that, if you think about it, I said, draw a line under my neck. Fortunately, my brain has not been affected. The real David Friedman is above the neck. Mm. Everything else, sorry, everything else is, is a machine. I said, if I have a car and it's not working, I take it to the mechanics. So in my mind, psychologically, I drew a line and below that line, you are the mechanics and you've been fixing up this machine. Yeah, right. I've not lost my dignity, not one iota. And, uh, and I think in the same way, you can, you can hit a bad shot at golf, but you haven't lost your, your own pride or, um, or, or enjoyment of the day. Uh, but I, I tell you what I do do, and I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of golfers do this. Again, if I can just refer it to Long Reef, because Long Reef's a strange, uh, the way that it's structured, if you play off something like uh, handicap 15 or even 14, all the holes that you have to, all the shots you lose, are all on the first nine. Mm. So sometimes you come out, and look, I'm like most club golfers, I don't practice much during the week. So even without that uh, disadvantage, the front nine, you're, you're a bit slow, you're warming up, and you make mistakes. And then on top of that, you know, maybe the third hole or the sixth hole and the eighth or the ninth, you're losing shots. So you've got to play it to par in my case. So you walk off after fourteen, after um, nine holes and you've got 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Look, if I've got 15, I feel somehow I'm still in it. But anything under that, you, you're struggling. Mm. But I always say to myself as I put the tee down on the 10th hole, on the 10th tee, the game begins again. And the number of times that I've had a really bad front nine and I've had 18, 19 or 20 off the back nine and I walk off thinking, well, that's character. I've shown myself that you can recover. So that's the way I...
2: So is that part of the game and maybe part of maybe one of those life lessons as well is that you put a peg in the ground halfway through something and think, can I not start this again? And get the most out of what well, I think that's what you're saying. Get the most out of this experience for what's.
1: Well, I think I think that's true, and I think my life's been like that in some respects. I, um, you know, I suppose my life has been in three sections, uh, or four if you include my childhood and adolescence. But um, in my adulthood, it was my first position in London, and we gave that up. I had a life contract, but we gave that up to come to Australia. We thought it'd be a great challenge. I then had a further seventeen years in St. Ives. And, and when I left there, I, I really didn't know what was ahead of me. But the last 14, 15 years, involved with the university world, involved with Central Synagogue, I can honestly say to you, and I don't mean this in any way disrespectful to my earlier mm. um, uh, uh, occupations and, and uh, positions, but these have been by far the best professional years of my career. Correct. Now, Why? In a way, because I learned so much in the first two, what not to do or how to move forward. So you reinvent yourself. You you work harder. You do get stale, you know, sometimes. And it's time to move on. Uh, people say to me often, "Why did you leave your last position?" You know, it was a lovely position, beautiful place to live, some dives. And uh, I say, well, I think, you know, maybe after 17 years, a few people were had sort of tired of me i certainly was a bit tired of the position as well and i think you have to be honest and look in a mirror and if you if you're able to start again um as i say that's why if it happens on the 18th hole not much opportunity but if you wake up and it's still on the 17th hole yeah you get a lot of redemption
2: so we had phil mickelson win the pga the oldest person ever to win a major
1: what sort of um joy do you get from that, in that? Well the joy I get from Phil Mickelson is not that he was 50 it's the fact that he was left handed <laughs> because I'm going to say this and I can say this very publicly um, you know we hear a lot about anti-semitism I mean we hear about it, read it in the news <laughs> Corbyn in, in in England and yeah. and Hamas and, and, and of course there is such a thing as anti-semitism I have lived my entire life, I've never faced one word of anti-Semitism, not once, not in England and not here. Um, and
2: what, what are you leading into? But I do get attacked as a left-handed absolutely.
1: golfer. Absolutely. Oh, my God. People, th- this world is anti-left-handed. Yeah, right. And, I mean, I go into a bank and not that often but I go into a bank and they'll say "Uh, you need to sign this document Mr Friedman and I say yeah where's the pen and I can see the pen just in front of my right hand and they say it's just there Mr Friedman I said yeah that's for right handed people because it won't reach over for the left handed person I said do you want a class action does the NAB want or ANZ do you want a class action because I can get a lot of left handed people I'll tell you something now you're laughing you're a bugger I'll tell you this If you if you want to cut with scissors, go and and you're (laughs) left-handed. Go and try. You've got a. I cut with right my my right hand. You can't. You can just about buy. You know, my son is left-handed like I am, and my mother was left-handed. Obviously, and we inherited. It's running through the family. We taught our our son to cut with left-handed, right-handed scissors. You you know, I've got a
2: brother who's left-handed.
1: Well, you should be nice to him. I am. Do you know? I'm going to tell you something. The the word left-handed. and the word sinister, that's what the, I think it's either Greek or Latin, that's what the word means. Sinister yeah. means left-handed. Mm. But even worse, in Hebrew, there is one character in Hebrew, um, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Judges, called Ehud. And the whole story revolves around the fact that he hid his weapon on the other side. And the reason he did that was he was left-handed. So it's almost the only time the Bible describes somebody as being left-handed. And I'll tell you what the Hebrew bad. is i no, no, the Hebrew words are iter yad yimino. In modern day Israel, in the modern Hebrew language, they say to somebody, oh, Ata are iter, you, are you left-handed? But they don't even know this. It's not iter yad yimino, which literally translated means crippled <laughs> in the right hand. I am not crippled in the right hand. Most of the world's geniuses were left-handed. You're, you're gifted in the left hand. Crippled so, in the right. Hand. I'm going to love, And, you know, and even in terms of most golf courses, they're set up for right-handers.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I'm not sure I don't buy that. But the thing <laughs> I, that, that I do know is that the, the, the golf club has a left-handed day, yes. which is coming up. And I
1: think and there's Man no the,
2: right-handed day. Yeah. It's like uh. there's no. <laughs> It's the special right hand. Well, I don't cup. take
1: part in it because I can't stand left-handed people. No, seriously, <laughs> I, I've never. Let
2: me let's let's finish with this. Just yeah. one one last question: How do you or do you, um, given your career of pastoral care, do do you ever counsel people on the golf course oh. for their golf? for their golf. Well, i sure, actually sure, on both counts. Yeah, I'm sure I, you do in a
1: normal in a in a in a, in a normal uh,
2: um, sp- sort of spiritual sense, but so I just I'll, wonder if.
1: I'll, t- I'll speak seriously and then I'll tell you something that happened once to finish. But uh, on a serious note, uh, I think the reason I became so close to Patricia all those years ago was, I don't know, she must have just sensed that I'm a good listener as well as you can tell I'm a good talker. And yes, she, she, she was going through a difficult time and, and I listened and maybe advised a little and then of course that was reciprocated when i was going through some difficult times Uh, there was a guy who still plays regularly and uh, sometimes he has a go at me about the palestinians but that's only because he reads the sydney morning herald and (laughs) watches abc he's not anti he's just what but but then afterwards we, we would go into the into the bar and he would tell me and ask me about you know unfortunately his marriage failed and he would You know, he's not a Jewish guy, obviously. Um, We would just talk and I would try and listen and try and help. In terms of helping people with their golf, yeah, look, I guess um, sometimes you're a little bit arrogant. Uh, Once every six or seven years, you have what you call almost the perfect day on the golf course. And it happened to me about six or seven years ago, so be careful because it's going to happen again (laughs) soon. And I had one of those days. You just saw every putt. And I think I, I was... Coming to the 14th, I was on the 14th green. I was about 12 foot and I just saw it and it went straight in the hole. And that was about the fourth time that day, single putt from about five foot or, or more. And as we walked off, I said to my two mates, Bob and Paul, I said, Guys, um, I do do coaching for putting. If you want to spend a bit of time with me, I don't charge too much. And at that time, Paul was using um, the, uh, a broomstick putter and they're both walking right behind me and Paul looks at Bob and he says, well, Dave would look real funny coaching us with a broomstick putter up his ass." <laughs> <laughs> to which Bob... <laughs> Who's my wonderful Serbian friend? But no, good bloke, really good bloke. And he turned to Paul. He goes, "You can't speak like that to the rabbi." <laughs> so you know, I walk around on air, I float around and mm. I have got good mates. I love the game. I love you, and uh, it's been great talking.
2: Well, what a pleasure.
1: So, David Friedman, thanks very much. I really appreciate your
2: time. I know you're really busy, a and um, yeah, it's good. It's really, it's a. There are many lessons that I think we can all just pick up from that. Not the least of which is torso. That's <laughs> some, some, you know, nice big spiritual. If anybody thoughts as well. knows
1: Marco Mira, please pass it on. Yeah, someone will know him.
2: You might get a call. Huh? You go, whoa! <laughs> Thanks, David. Thank you. <laughs> That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com ACAST.
0: Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra.